Hello and welcome to the Soccer Speakeasy, the MLS Cup edition 2023. Today is Thursday, the 7th of December, uh, 2023. I'm Mike A-Race. Thank you for joining us. On the flanks here are uh, the striker, Kyle Robertson, and uh, I guess you could call her our new crew beat writer, Brianna McKay. Um, I think I get a good name. Who's gonna, she's going <laughs> to set her... Uh, I, I called her Shieldus in a in a in a, in a text, but that's that's a little too harsh. Yeah. Uh, thanks for joining us. Um, we have a guest, Neil Sika, coming on the great Neil Sika to wrap the program, um, and uh, so hang around for that. We'll be brief because he'll be way better than 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 we are, and, and of course you know that. Um, first things first, we're, we're going to get to the LAFC game that for the championship uh, to be played a Saturday with a kickoff sometime after just after 4 p.m. Um, a formidable opponent. Before we get into that, um, we should speak of how the crew dispatched of another formidable opponent uh, last weekend, uh, FC Cincinnati, the Supporter Shield winners. And what is to date and what may be for all time, we yeah. don't know, uh, the most important addition of the hell is real rivalry uh, for the Eastern conference title. Um, Brianna, take us through the game. Um, I'll just set it up by saying that uh, at halftime, uh, Cincinnati's up to nothing. Uh, second goal scored after mm-hmm. a phantom phantom call. And a did yellow it touch card. his calf? It Cause, did, cause it, they, cause it, they came on later on and not well, it, it looked like it. I mean, it's, I, great, I it's great sitting next to Mike cause he'll pull up the, He'll pull it up right away and be like, he didn't touch him. Yeah. We were watching it like two minutes after. And I was like, wow. Yeah, I ran that replay quite a few times, yes. but you didn't have to. You only yeah. need one. So no. it's two to nothing at halftime. And Wilfried, Nancy's son, is in the stands uh, um, with with his mother and his, and his sisters. And uh, he's uh, he's crying. And his mother says to him, courage. And uh, after the game, uh, the kid said, good lesson. <laughs> anyway, Brianna, take it away. Hell is real Saturday night uh, in Cincinnati at the TQL Stadium. It was an incredible atmosphere. Yeah, and it's if the week couldn't get better for Christian Ramirez, um, uh-huh. it, it did. He was wearing the hospital bracelet that he had from the birth of his son, and it was covered in tape, so you couldn't really mm-hmm. see it. But And he scores another huge goal. He comes off the bench. The bench was huge. The depth of the crew team was huge on Saturday. You had Gressel with that, uh, with that cross that led to the on goal. And then you had Ramirez doing it again in overtime. It's just. And Molina can't forget about Molina on the cross. (laughs) I I talked to him on the field after the game and he was just, I have to give it to him. It was, it was, it was perfect. I know we've we've razzed him a little bit in the last. Well, you know. he's, he's he's a quiet man. Mm-hmm. Um, uh, he's uh, and he he was almost like I, I won't call it relief redemption. Um, it was all of these things with a touch of serenity thrown thrown in, and he spoke very quietly about five knee operations and and how it felt to to he sent he sent the cross over to Cucho who put it on Ramirez's foot with his head. It was a uh, it was quite a moment. It, it's it's one of the great moments in crew history. So they take care of Cincinnati, which didn't have a full roster. Um, Miazga was out due to suspension. Stupid. Stupid. Uh, yeah, yelling at referees. Uh, 
you know, the, the, the midfielder that, 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 uh, that's their link was, was also missing. I think he came on in the 85th minute and that hurt it. Lu- Luciano Acosta did score on a, a, a an incredible free yeah. kickoff after a terrible call. Uh, but was you he know, play- I mean, he, you know, <laughs> in these playoffs, he's been, he's been, yeah. uh, the last two games, uh, again, I think it, it hurt him. The, there wasn't the link during the playoffs yeah. for Cincinnati. It was a little bit different team, but they also full marks to the crew down two nothing yeah. at the half. Come back and win an extra time, three to two. An amazing chapter in crew history. Is there another amazing chapter in the offing on Saturday, Kyle? LAFC in town, and this is probably the best team in MLS right now. You consider it's two of the best teams. Yeah, the crew. Yeah, yeah. don't want to short the crew. No, what no, they're doing absolutely right. Quite right, I stand uh, corrected, Kyle. But, you know, I look at Denny Buanga uh, up up front with Carlos Vela, who's, I think he's 34, still a danger. He's deferred a lot of his playmaking yep. role to to Buanga, who's one of the fastest yeah, players and in, in, in one of the fastest forwards in the league with and some of the best ball skills. Well, it's going to be a problem for Maria. Right? And you got Christian Oliveira on the other side there. And, uh, you know, a really good midfield, Acosta, Ily Sanchez, and uh, and Timothy Tillman uh, left to right. Yeah. And uh, a, a backfield that uh, has – that collects pelts, <laughs> you know, um, with a, an excellent goaltender and Maxime Crepeau with, with, with the comeback. Uh, this is a daunting challenge. It's also – an extraordinary contrast in style. Well, yeah, it's, it's almost like I, I think you'll see the same amount of possession time as you saw with, with the last game. I mean, they like to sit around 30 to 40 percent LAFC and, you know, they can really work those counters, you know, especially with the speed on the wings, you know, and the crew likes to hold it as, you know, in, in pass. I mean, I, I think they had like 500 more passes than Cincinnati FC, you know, on Saturday night. So I think it's. I think it's you'll see a lot, and I think what's what's going to be key is, and I, you saw this in the in the FC Cincinnati game, um, was the counter. I mean, uh, Schultz makes an awesome save, I think, in the 50th minute. You know, again with a kick save, and then Nagby makes one of those long runs back. Uh, I don't know if it was like late in the game uh, when it was still two two, or maybe in overtime. But I think Vesquez had him. You know, Nagby tracked him. I mean, it was a full like 80 yard run. That he kind of like, you know, kind of interrupts. And you thought that like that was it. Like, you know, they were going to, you know, get that third goal. Um, but again, it's I think I think the number one thing is is how how do they defend the counters? Because, you know, the crew likes to go and they like to, you know, push the numbers up. And I think that's where they need to be a little bit. Wor- I, I think the crew needs to worry a little bit about sending too many guys up and then the counter and, and how that how they will attack the crew. It was uh, it was funny. Camacho was just uh, talking about this earlier this morning about sometimes he just left on an island to back mm-hmm. one one or two guys left to protect. And he said sometimes it gets loud. You can't they can't hear him, but they've been able to make it work. The style of play under uh, Nancy and everything. So it's worked these last two games, especially with finding People, they have so many people who can score. Like you had Adamson in the Atlanta game yep. who scored. There are so many guys who can get the ball and score. So, yeah, it's it's not a hero ball team. No, it's uh, it, it, they play they play Nazi system now to a T. And you know they're they're often knocked uh, less so now for for their defensive breakdowns. Um, they're knocked for their set piece defense. Right. And you know, which we, has been pretty good up until you know, we week. talked yeah, about yeah, it yeah. last week. If if you look at the results down the stretch, um, you know, I, they've allowed two goals yeah. once on the road and maybe yeah. twice over the last since since Orlando yeah. and, and on September sixteenth. 
You know, speaking of that, um, I, I kind of tripped over this by accident. I started running some numbers. And, uh, you know, since September 16th, that's when LAFC season, LAFC's season turned around. Remember, they had to play a load of game, Champions League and, right. and, uh, and so forth. Uh, they went, you know, Leagues Cup. Far, they, yeah. I think over 50 games, I've heard. This will be their 53rd game of the season. But they had most of their uh, non-MLS games uh, behind them. Uh, by September 16th, they just had one more left at Campione's Cup, which they lost. They lost to Tigres on kicks. That was on the 27th of September. Uh, but on the 16th, they 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 regrouped and they 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 hammered the Galaxy uh, in Carson, California, uh, four to two, and and that's where that's where it all turned around. Um, and a lot's being made of of their stretch run, which, by the way, is exactly like the Crew's stretch run. Um, you know. After the Orlando game on September 16th, the, the crew went 7-1-3, uh, 24 goals for 13 uh, against, and uh, that includes uh, playoff games. Um, since September 16th, uh, LAFC 7-1-2, and two, uh, 23-4, 9-against. What you have here are the two teams uh, in the best form uh, in the MLS Cup Final, which isn't shocking, but uh, it is kind of eerie how their late season runs have bear themselves. Uh, I want to shift over to Brianna now and ask her what they're talking about over at the Ohio Performance Health uh, Old Crew Historic Training Center Stadium. <laughs> it's a lot of we, not me. That's a, the <laughs> biggest message they've been saying about just the, like I said, depth of the team and also uh, Nancy's very big on um, they respecting every opponent, but they they don't fear anyone. They're not thinking too much about who who LAFC is and how they're considered the best team and the reigning champions. They they aren't thinking about that. They're thinking about the matchups they ha- that's in front of them. And also, it's just I said this before. There's a lot of faith in the way this team is run. They have a lot of confidence in themselves and. I think it's interesting, too, because it's going to be at home. It's going to be at lower.com field. If we want to talk about numbers, they've lost one game this season there. And I just it's going to be hard with the momentum the crew is riding for them to end the season on with the loss on that turf. Well, the atmosphere will be a little different because this is a league event. They control the tickets and how they're doled out. And, uh, you know, you truly have the home field advantage. I mean, no, the old the old stadium, you kind of I mean, it wasn't built for sound and like, you know what I mean? Like the newer the newer stadium, like you can like I think it's louder. I don't disagree with you. My own my point. Yeah, yeah. my only my only point was that the you know, the league has is as controls the tickets um, and a chunk of those tickets are are made available to sponsors. So it's it's, there's not going to be as many pro crew people in there as usual for a, a a home game. And of course they sold out their last 16 home games or something like that. Uh, the other thing too, Kyle is, uh, and, and, and Brianna is earlier this week in a matter of hours on Monday, uh, oh, yeah. there, there were almost, code? there were almost no crew fans <laughs> yeah. that were able to get tickets. Um, there was a, a code that was leaked, a sponsor's code. And before season, crew season tickets could sign on to buy tickets, uh, um, they were they'd already been snapped up by uh, by, you know, a secondary market uh, in blocks of 20. So when the crew, when crew fans, season ticket holders logged in to access tickets, the Nordec was already sold out. Crazy. Uh, so 
when you talk about the atmosphere of, of the new crusade, uh, it begins with the Nordic. Um, and <laughs> it might have been that there were no crew fans in the Nordic if the league and the team really and, and Ticketmaster didn't act. They clawed back tickets and there was a resale on uh, on Tuesday, I believe, Tuesday or Wednesday. Yeah. Uh, so we'll see what that looks like, how, whether they clawed back enough, whether crew fans had enough access to them. Um, as, but Kyle's point holds, it, it's going to be a home field advantage. It just won't be as pointed as it is uh, under normal circumstances. As a Taylor Swift fan, I am not surprised this happened with, ticket, <laughs> with Ticketmaster. Like, I'm very used yeah. to these problems with Ticketmaster. <laughs> the Dark Star. Well, this is the crew's uh, fourth appearance in the title game. They won in two, 2008 uh, over the New York Red Bulls in, in uh, Carson, California. We uh, were there. Was then the Home Depot Center. Yeah. Um, I don't know what it's called now. Uh, in uh, 2015, um, when the league shifted uh, to highest seed hosts, uh, the crew in the old stadium uh, lost one that still sticks in the craw of crew fans. Yeah. That ball was out. Caleb Porter's uh, Portland Timbers yeah. defeated the crew 2-1. to one. Nagby, uh, right? Nagby's on the team. Yeah, man. Nagby's – that was Nagby's first, first title. Yeah, and he's – he won two more since, one with Atlanta and one here with the crew in 2020, Kyle. Um, but he wasn't playing, remember? Yeah, that's he right, got he had COVID. COVID. Yeah. Mm-hmm. the game or the day before. That's, yeah, yeah. That's Aiden, Morris. Aiden Morris was really yeah, funny about yeah. that. He became the youngest player yeah. at that point to start uh, or to play, to yeah. appear in an MLS Cup game. He was 19 and change. Yeah. And he talked about that the other day, didn't he, Brianna? Yeah, he found out the day before that he would be starting. And it's just crazy knowing his impact on that game that he found out the day before and now is going into this game. It's been kind of a roller coaster his career with uh, the injury, then the following season splitting times starting in 2022 and now that he's here he should he I think he knows he's going to be a starter yeah. a little before one day and he's going to be on the field with Nagby who he went in who he replaced. Yeah. Well, uh that's going to be the key. The midfield will be the key, uh, I think. Um and uh uh, Nagby and Boris will be uh, critical to, just, to the crews. The chances that's nothing new. Uh, it'll be a, a contrast in styles. This is a possession attack crew team. They've led the league in possession and in goals and progressive passes uh, and expected and, goals and, 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 and everything. Stuff, yeah. yeah, this is a this is a team that uh, wants the ball, wants to uh, uh, unsettle defenses in front of them, uh, look for cracks, and and they seize on those. They 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 shoot through those cracks. And the goal is to score. Uh, and this is against a team that uh, is the best the best defensive team in the league uh, while still standing anyway. Do you, uh, okay, so then what do you think the lineup will be? Because I think there's some definitely some changes probably, I, I, I think. I don't know. I don't know. I, I will say this, that uh, put the, way, the, way, the way that Nancy used yeah. his bench against Cincinnati was, uh, I mean, that won the game for him. Mm-hmm. Uh, and it made Pat yeah. Noonan look pretty yeah. you know, poor by comparison. Um, it was a masterful coaching job. All of those guys had an impact. Um, I think one of the things I took away from Cincinnati after after that uh, flurry of substitutions from the 65th minute yeah. on uh, was that uh, the effectiveness of Gressel, who just sat for two games, yeah. um, and the professionalism of yeah. Gressel, because uh, he came in and, as Brianna said, that was a hell of a cross that led yeah. to the own goal, and Ramirez was right there. Um, but then also, like, do you think and Chiburco, he, Chiburco, he yeah, even yeah. reached down and threw Chiburco out yeah. there, uh, the kid. 
Ramirez oh. thought he got the goal. He found out in uh, after the game. He thought he went into the press conference <laughs> yeah. thinking he had two goals, yeah. <laughs> and we had to tell him that it was an on goal. Yeah. So when when I tweeted that, yeah. when I tweeted that it was Ramirez, yeah. it was fair because he thought he did yeah, it yeah, too. Yeah. So, but yeah, I mean, I think the you know I want to I want to see what they do, and, and and I think it's gonna be interesting to see when Ramirez comes in, you know, because I think he's made such a big difference. Um, you know, so it, you know, even if they have the lead, you know, do you bring them in or do you hold them? I mean, I, you know, just the way they played in the second half, you know, I, I, I think that's, I know, think you know. this uh, postseason yeah. proved that it doesn't matter who's in the starting 11, that anyone can make an impact for right, for yeah. the crew. And that's, that's one of Nancy's tenets, yeah. uh, flexibility, different positions. And, uh, well, everybody, even, yeah. you know, Zawaski got in there and, you know, he, you know, it, Everyone, like you said, everyone who came in did something that, you know, and, but had a direct, had yeah, a direct yeah, impact yeah. on the decision. There's no question about it. Um, so we shall see. Uh, will 70% of, of possession win the game or will 30% with the counterattack win the game? Uh, will the best offense in the league and the best in Cruz mm-hmm. history uh, win the championship or, or will a very smart, staunch, uh, battle tested, um, uh, deliberate, Yep. soccer team that can counter like, well, I, I, you'll have to bleep all that out. Um, mm-hmm. Will they prevail? Uh, it's it's an interesting contrast in styles. The crew, we should point out, are not Houston. They do not pass without aim. They don't pass without purpose to the extent that Houston does. The crew's passing structure is is designed to, to progress. It's a lot different than, than Houston style. And uh, I'm sure Steve Chirondolo is, is uh, explaining this to his, his team right now. So that's it. We're going to bring in our guest now. Patrick, let's get him on the line. And as promised, we're joined by Neil Sika, formerly the television voice and the radio voice at one point of the Columbus crew. How many years, Neil, were you the voice of the crew before you were crushed by, by <laughs> Apple, Apple television? They gave me a few apples in the end there, Mike. Uh, to be with we'll, you. we'll talk about that. We'll talk about that. <laughs> Sixteen years. Wow. 16. That's that's a good. But one. if you want, if you want to, if you want to go back to when I started filling in in '04, then this would have marked twenty years. I was calling some sort of MLS game. So. Wow. Were, were you in Carson, California, in 2008, as Kyle and I were? I sure was. Yeah. I sure was. I did the first half. Dwight Burgess did the second. It was a memorable time. A lot of great memories from not only that season, but the subsequent years that followed and the varying range of success that this club has had. It's quite remarkable. They're playing for another cup here in the last four years. And you were there in 15 and you were there in 20. And uh, I was there for both. Yeah. Will, will you be in the building on, on Saturday? When the LAFCs, the mighty defending champions of the league, come into the LDC to take on the plucky crew, sadly, I will not. Oh, I have so uh, I have some other uh, some other hockey obligations that are going to call me into not being there. But I'll be there in spirit. And I got a lot of friends uh, that will be in my stead, rooting on the black and the original black and gold. Let's specify that. Now, Neil, as you mentioned, Apple did throw you a few apples, uh, five of them, I think, um, including, uh, uh, I'm, frankly, I'm surprised that uh, an English speaker without a Welsh 
Liverpudlian <laughs> or East London accent was allowed to uh, call any games uh, on Apple. But there you were, including in Montreal for Wilfried Nancy's, Nancy's return. Uh, first, generally speaking, your thoughts on, on the crew. What are your impressions of this team? I'm told this. I even told this to, to Pez um, when we were meeting before the Montreal game, and I had been watching and kind of patiently waiting to see what was going to happen on the TV front. But the frustration of the last two seasons prior to this year and knowing that they had talent and they were capable, but not living up to those expectations and then seeing what Wilfred's done in his first season. I'm like, this is the team that you want to call games for. I mean, it's almost a, a fast break on grass with, with how they play. And, well, you know, that Montreal game was extremely entertaining and they score, they score every game. I mean, this is a, a club that's rivaled the 1998 season and Stern John. And that was a different era of MLS soccer, but, you know, there's a reason that people have said that they're the most entertaining team in the league, the most exciting team in the league, and KD uh, bar the door, and we're coming after you, and you're going to stop us, and if you can keep us from scoring two goals or less, good for you. But more often than not, that hasn't been the case. And uh, just I'm delighted for the fans that they get to watch this and use what they've got and the mastery of of what the front office has done to assemble this roster together to be competitive after basically selling off the best player prior to that, who maybe had a chance to play and Lucas Delaron with this group, but uh, the rules and regulations and fitting and calibrating it's It's a job well done for, for Bezbachenko. I know the job isn't well done. The job isn't done for the, for the coaching staff, but uh, yeah, what, a, what an extraordinarily exciting year. Be a be a crew fan watching this team play. Yeah, uh, maybe the crew can add Gareth Bale tonight to their roster. Uh, you know, uh, but of course they're not LA or Miami, uh, and they only get the, just the three DPS. Um, but yeah, you bring up Zellerion, and when when they sold him to the Saudi Arabian team, Neil, what what were your thoughts? It was uh, such a gut punch for the fans. He says goodbye, and then they they roll out and uh, steamroll Club America. Um, you know, the best team in Liga MX, the Yankees of Mexico. Yeah, I think it caught a lot of people by surprise. Clearly, they had been working on it. Uh, and Lucas obviously wanted something like that if he's going to agree to terms to go to, to Saudi Arabia. Riviati, um, and now I guess, you know, <laughs> what, a, what a great place to be. It's kind of become the Chinese Super League. I mean, who's watching these games? But, that's an individual's decision. Good for him if, if he feels comfortable that way. And he was an incredible player in his time here. But I think it also was something that catalyzed Columbus because the way Wilfred's, Wilfred Nancy's teams play and the space that you operate with up top in that three-pronged attack, it gave Cucho this freedom that maybe he necessarily didn't have or wasn't being employed that way the last couple of years under Caleb Porter and his playmaking ability, but he can roam and go wherever the heck he may choose. And he was doing that in the premier league too, for a little bit with, with Watford and bringing Rossi and who's kind of taken a little bit of a while to assimilate at times, but obviously had the huge goal last week and uh, can go off at any time because of his movement. You know, he's playing his former club in the, in the final on, on Saturday and then Christian Ramirez, just a, 
incredible pro and great for the locker room. So all these harmonious parts that now work together, but I think more for the space that Cucho and Rossi could operate in, that's where they haven't really missed a beat, even though uh, you lose a player of Zellerion's caliber. You know, I, I thought, I thought it did take Rossi some time to gain some traction. You know, I was looking down from the press box in Cincinnati on Saturday night and in the second half in particular, when they really had to step on the gas, um, the space he created with his runs, um, that's when it, it kind of coalesced for me. I said, I was like, oh, there he is. That's what he does. Not, not that he's been a, a disappearing act all, uh, for, for the half season that he's been there, but, but the, the full realization of what he can give in this attack um, was kind of stood out in front of my eyes. Did you have uh, any similar reaction to that, Neil? Yeah, for what I, you know, I was working during most of that game, but from what I saw in the highlights, um, you know, they had to pin the, the ears back in that second half. And I, I even knew when Cincinnati had won up a couple of goals, like they better get a third because the crew have won. When they've scored two, two or more goals this year, they've, they've won 21 games. So, uh, the losses have been seldom. And even if you get a couple on them, you better make sure you're going for the third. So, they could play free and open, and I think the pressure then fully fell on the team from team in orange and blue. And I think that's when these these Columbus teams have smelled blood in the water. Uh, but for him, he doesn't need to be on the ball. Going back to, to Rossi and your point, he doesn't need to be totally on the ball like a Zellerion was game in and game out. And I think that's where Lucas sometimes got the trouble with his movements on the dribble and turning the ball over. I think uh, he can make those runs because he's deceptive enough and he's lethal and he only needs one or two touches to get his shot away and let the other guys like a Cucho or your primarily, your primary pragmatic now midfield players in Nagby and Morris be the, the providers for him to do what he does and make the runs that will make him a threat and uh, a threat to score really anytime he's, He's in a position to do so. Neil drops it right on us. When they score two goals, they, they've won 20, 20 games. Yeah. He's still doing his I homework, like Kyle, <laughs> and he's not even the voice of the crew anymore. See, I, I might have I I had like a month and a half of full MLS work, but I dove in completely. So I wasn't going to shortchange you knowing full, mold, full, up, full well I was going to have this moment on the your The man podcast. does his homework. <laughs> Hey Neil, where, where where do you think the game um, on Saturday last Saturday ranks in in crew history? I mean, uh, you know, I think some fans might say it might have been one of the greatest games ever. You know, others will say the the first winning the first cup. Um, you know, and then also the the first uh, Open Cup championship that was oh, held at yeah mm-hmm. with uh, McBride and and those guys. Um, so, like in in your estimate in, in your knowledge where do you think that game against cincinnati ranks probably you know all Ooh. time and that's a great question to debate i i i throw it in definitely the top 10 maybe the outskirts of the top five the thing with this game in particular is you're still piercing the rivalry it's just been a lot of healthy banter and a lot of one-sided crew play for much of it until cincinnati has really come on in the last season and a half, but knowing that the stakes, I think it resonated a lot more. The crew have been in this position and it kind of Steve Cirk, the, the great crew historian, I think put it perfectly when he was talking about the, 
the fact that losing that game would actually feel worse than not winning, if that makes sense, just from a Cincinnati perspective, because the crew were in that position. I still rank the Eastern Conference Final in 2008 with Chicago uh, right in the top two, MLS Cup 2008. You know, clearly all the cups are going to go ahead of that, but it, it could be right on the outskirts of the top five just because I think knowing full well this rivalry may not have existed, right? If you think back four or five years ago and with everything that was going on with the club, uh, and now you have a healthy dose of two teams that are, are playing really good soccer and could have something like this for years to come, just be on the surface level stuff and the off the field hell is real mantra. This actually leads into good gameplay and rivalry great rivalries are made with games that have a lot of stakes so um, you, know, you know i don't know, you know where where it sits in in the top 10 uh but from a affect affective view uh the one 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 game that always sticks in there among them for me is is the knockout round game against atlanta in 2017 mm. given what was going sure, on so, sure you know zach Steffen's yeah, performance and, yeah that's a great point, Mike. I, I I think about that game often, and I'm they didn't really bring it up despite Columbus and Atlanta playing three playoff series. But if you weren't part of, I guess, the crew ecosystem, then you didn't really know what that game meant because everything was hanging, not only the game itself and the intensity of this is a good team. Atlanta, of course, is the darlings now. They're expected in their first year to maybe win the whole thing. You go into that hostile environment. And beyond that, crew fans knowing if they lose, okay, well, what's next? Because I think they had announced, right, that they were going to play in 2018, but there was just all this uh, ad nauseum that was lingering still with the fan base that they were hurting inside despite all the successes they may see on the field. That was one of the more remarkable coaching jobs I think you'll see in, in this league with with Greg Berhalter and how he got them to the Eastern Conference Final, and they very well could have played an MLS Cup. But that moment in Atlanta specifically to get past that, and then I can remember seeing Anthony Precourt. <laughs> I shook Zach Steffen's hand after that game. We were down in the locker room waiting to go off to the plane, and Precourt's there, and just don't know what to say. Like, you know, <laughs> this guy wants to rip the soul away and take him to, to Austin and – here you just had one of the more jubilant playoff wins. It was a, it was a really unique time, but uh, well, it was also it also resonated pretty heavily too. Yeah, they had so much weight on them, and they carried it with such class and dignity, and actually performed. It was incredible, and, and it, I agree, it was a tremendous coaching job. People disagree with me all the time, but um, for what Greg did during that era, I always I always put him as as the guy on my bench. With all apologies to Ziggy, and and uh, we'll, we'll we'll see where Wilfried winds up. And, and speaking of Wilfried, Nancy, um, you know, he he uh, he had a tiff with the owner of Montreal, which is why Tim Bezbachenko was able to go out and get him. Um, uh, and and uh, it was because he wouldn't let the owner uh, Saputo into the locker, locker room yeah. to, to yell at his players. <laughs> uh, and that that created a fissure that that couldn't be repaired. Um, and so you, th- you think of pre-court in the locker room in Atlanta. Uh, I, I wondered what Wilfried would have would have said to him, <laughs> but of course. <laughs> uh, anyway, uh, 
Yeah, that, Montreal. Look, Montreal's mistake is the cruise game. Yeah. If you look at that environment, it's been unhealthy. I think they've, along with San Jose and Toronto, and in fact, I had this in the telecast when we did the game up there. They had like Hernan Lusada, who they let go at the end of this season, so they're looking for a new coach again. I think they've had since 2012 when they became an MLS club, like nine or ten guys on the bench, which is second or third most. Like. Just the instability, it's a really European-driven mentality with how they, you know, if you're not satisfying or the flavor of the month, then you're not going to be there very long. But Wilf- Wilfried's a smart enough guy who cut his teeth there and made his family there and made his mark as a coach and a player and going to university and um, knowing full well the resources he was going to have in Columbus. So to have that opportunity to jump and... Obviously, he's molded some pretty good clay here. Year one in Columbus. You know that Atlanta team um, of that vintage. You know with Gressel um, on a flank, as, as a matter of fact. Um, but that they were a vicious counterattacking team, and yeah. and they might have. I mean, we can argue that that was a better counterattacking team in seventeen eighteen than this LAFC team is. We, we can split hairs over it, but the the point is. Very similar in style to this team we're going to see in Columbus on Saturday. Would you agree with that, Neil? I would in, in a lot of ways. And I think, you know, it starts with the guy at the top and Steve Chirundolo, who for all the years he played for the U.S., I think was maybe one of the more underrated players to wear the stars and stripes and this mentality of you know, how the style was and playing in Germany for so long and coaching in Germany and if you look at their playoff games outside of the first one against Vancouver, I mean, they're perfectly fine with 30% of the ball, but they're still, what did they get in the Houston game? They had 18 shots. They had six on target. Now they're obviously playing at home, but they're fine going to Seattle and getting maybe eight shots and two on target. And the the lethal guys they have at the top of the attack, when they get out in transition, can convert those one or two chances that make a difference. You know, so the sound defense that they also play, it's not just sitting and waiting to hit. What do they have, 12 or 13 shutouts in the regular season? Yeah. So and between Crapo and McCarthy, and Crapo's been the guy in the playoffs, and he had that horrible injury in MLS Cup last year, they're, they're more than well-suited to repeat. But, you know, so often as it does, I think it when you look at a, a championship game of this caliber and, previous crew championships and any championship. It's like the line of scrimmage in football. What makes the difference? I think the, the midfield, right? And yeah. the battles won there and, and that do they, be, do that the crew control the game and yeah, do they wear them down with Morris and Nagby or do you have Costa and Ilya and Tillman kind of run the fold for LAFC on Saturday? So that's, that's what I think it'll really boil down to because each team is comfortable playing their own style and that's what's going to be so fascinating about how it plays out. I think the crew have the edge in the midfield, uh, but yeah. we'll see. Um, but last, last thing here, you know, you mentioned that now, right? now that the fan, now that their fans will be in the building. Yeah. I think that's going to help. Know, I, I think they clean that up a little bit, but uh, I mean, we shall see. Uh, uh, but what, you know, you talk, talk about Chiellini and Morello in front of uh, Crapo and, uh, and, and if you, if you think how, how they sit back, uh, Chiellini doesn't have to run into space. You know, he can just sit and wait for you. And uh, at his age, he can still do that, you know, and he's got some tools in the bag, like, you know, hammers, grappling hooks, and uh, et cetera. <laughs> um, 
it's a uh, it's a daunting defense to try to break down, and and uh, we'll see if the crew can do it. Any last sure. thoughts, Neil, before we 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 ring off with you and wrap the program? No, it's been fun reminiscing, guys. I wish I could be there Saturday, and um, you know, I really think too. It's it's remarkable to think about Columbus, the little old team from Central Ohio that could win if they win Saturday. It's their third MLS Cup, right? Yeah. And you look at the company they'd be in with DC United and the LA Galaxy. But if you look at those two teams who were early day bedrock clubs, but they've kind of fallen off. Like DC's last title was in 2004. A lot of that was the MLS 1.0 pre Beckham era, right? Where they had four of their championships. The LA Galaxy have taken advantage clearly of the DP rule and uh, 2.0 after Beckham up until this new era of expansion where their last titles in 2014 and they won three titles in four years. Think about the crew and how successful they've been with all the pieces who have come through that front office and the coaches in different eras, whether it's Jamie roots and the late Tom Fitz and all those close, but no cigar clubs. And then Ziggy finally gets it done with Brian bliss and Mark McCullers and that front office in 2008. And then you had a chance to win in that, second era of MLS in 2015. He captured it in 2020, and this is kind of that new era where expansion teams come in right away like Atlanta and LAFC, and they're so good, and they're competing because of just the foundational structure of what's available in terms of dollars to spend on youth talent outside of the traditional DDPs. And to think that the crew could really win their second title in that era as the league has evolved in really three different eras where they've been really competitive under different brass it's pretty special to think about and uh, shouldn't be lost on the fans on, on how good it's been with the product that they've had. I know they've had some down seasons, but they've bounced back remarkably. And to be in this position again for the second time in four years is, I think, outstanding. Yeah, with uh, you know two appearances in a row in the MLS Next Pro a championship game, one title yeah, there. I yeah. mean, it's, it's so the and future. Think about that, Mike, that, you know, they didn't have a development. Uh, I shouldn't say. Yeah, no, pre-court, is, pre-court, is pre-court killed it. Yeah, pre-court killed it. Yeah. Um, yes, but a great, so it, a great, it's great po- to think about the future too. Yeah, but a great point. I mean, uh, how many teams have have it, we're inside of ten years now? This is this is their third MLS Cup final with three different coaches. Uh, yeah, that doesn't happen at, yeah. uh, every decade. And, uh, and, and you're not spending the most dollars either. You got to have a, a savvy eye for how to acquire good players in this league and use your resources. And uh, Tim Bezbachenko is clearly a cut above. He's going to be. Uh, a Hall of Fame, you know, if they have a Hall of Fame wing for exactly, yeah. general managers down the road with what he not only did in Toronto, but what he's replicating here with half the salary to spend and uh, the money to go out and get those marquee type players. But they've they've certainly found their their alpha dogs uh, that make it work here, too. Okay, Neil, thank you very much for joining us. Uh, you know, have fun with the Big Ten Network and we hope to see you back to, back here in town in one one in one capacity or another soon. I hope uh, that's Neil Secret, great, folks. Great reminiscing with you guys, and and uh, thanks for having me on. And I hope it's a special day for Crew Fan. Here, here, Neil Secret, ladies and gentlemen, and uh, that'll do it for today's Soccer Speakeasy. I'm Mike A. Race. Once again, please go to dispatch.com to check out all of uh, Brianna McKay's wonderful work. She's 
we say the new crew beat writer, but you know, she parachuted into Orlando on her second day on the job and it's been nonstop since. She's a grizzled veteran at this point. And uh, speaking of which, there's just grizzled to my right here with the striker, Kyle Robertson. There'll be a lot of wonderful uh, video and, and, uh, and photo galleries posted through this weekend. So again, visit dispatch.com. I'm Mike A. Race. Thanks for joining us. For Patrick, the podfather, Flaherty, and the rest of our gang here, Patrick, kick us out of here.